Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Okay, you guys ready to start the uh, Shane Wright draft prospect profiles? Please, God, no. <laughs> you just died inside when I said that. <laughs> More than a little. I don't even Here think we- that'd be the earliest in a Red Wing season that we started draft the draft profile prospect prospect profiles. No, no, we're uh, we're very nearly on 2023. Although I'm surprised coming out of this weekend that it's still the year 2021. This entire lead into the draft has felt like ten marathons all stacked back to back to back. But we survived. How are you guys doing? Barely. Yeah, that was probably the longest 48 hours of all time. Maybe yeah. even longer than last year, even though I was not there for day two to this year. Yeah, I was going to say. Man, I did not know you could stack 30 hours into a 24-hour day. Because it certainly felt super long on the first draft day. Very on, brand for the NA- very on brand for the NHL. 48 hours doesn't even begin to describe it. Emergency episode Monday night for... Um, the expansion protected lists episode Wednesday night, emergency episode Thursday night for the Nadelkovich trade first round of the draft Friday night, full day of draft Saturday. And now we're recording this episode Sunday. How long did round two or day two go started at 11 and Red Wings fans. By the time the presser was done after the draft, we were looking at like six thirty, seven o'clock ish. Oh my God yeah that is so they promised it'd be quicker this year and they lied right to our faces outright carolina single-handedly though kind of did that with timeouts and trades and oh that franchise needs to fold for what they did yesterday (laughs) i liked max's tweet every time you take a timeout during the uh the draft you should lose a million in cap space Anyways, uh, it's been a grind, but one that we've had fun with. Um, and this is the uh, the final piece, the capstone to the 2021 draft coverage. Not to say that we're going to stop talking about prospects after today, but today is just what caps off uh, what has been an incredibly wild run of uh, events in the NHL and in the hockey world. So uh, for listeners new and old, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast here to talk to you about hockey, the Detroit Red Wings, and generally harass the other two hosts here with me. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. (laughs) And I'm Evan. Um, I anticipate us doubling over our words probably uh, probably there it is 11 times as much as we usually do just because our brains are smoothed over from staring at screens and talking about prospects um after this we're going to need to beg our respective partners for forgiveness for the hell that we've put them through and then after that take long long naps but um we are actually here today to talk to you about uh, all things 2021 NHL draft, especially pertaining to the Detroit Red Wings. We're going to give you a draft recap, uh, player by player, and talk about each pick, uh, what the Red Wings got in that player, our thoughts on the pick, etc. We're going to be talking about the Red Wings draft philosophy overall, um, what this means for the rebuild, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or or whatever it shakes out to be um, for Eisenman and Draper and company. Uh, and then we'll be chatting a little bit about what uh, Eisman and Draper had to say about the picks in general before we give our 
grades on the uh, Red Wings 2021 NHL draft. Uh, we'll be talking about draft classes, events, goings on from around the league. Uh, a signing today for the Red Wings, actually. I should probably have mentioned that. They brought Mark Stahl back in. Uh, and then the NBA style thousand colossal trades that we were just numb to by the end of the weekend to the point where we had an at Atkinson Voracek one for one trade that no one batted an eye at. So um, all of that and more to come up on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, but first, I do want to give some time here to acknowledge the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, the more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative, and it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. So for those of you who don't know, we... we our biggest live stream of the year, at least while the Red Wings are rebuilding, so for almost the entire lifetime of this podcast, um, is the first round of the draft live stream. And that happened, of course, on Friday night. Uh, 15,000 of you tuned in, so biggest one yet. Cannot say thank you enough. Um, towards the end of it, like towards the last 30 minutes or so, uh, I got a message that I didn't read for 45 minutes and then with about 30 40 minutes left in the night i i read the message and uh and it was from ken and i um i answered him and ken jumped on the live stream to talk hockey with us so that was extremely cool um it was great to have ken back on the show we just did an interview with him not too long ago um but it was really really fun to have after the red wings made their first two uh, picks of the draft in the first round, Ken came on and started chatting with us about uh, the Edvinson pick, the Kosa pick, what was happening around the league, Ken Holland passing on, um, Wallstead, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a blast. And we'll probably um, show you that audio. We'll pull that audio out a different time. But if you do want to watch it, the replay of the live stream is up on YouTube as well. All right, let's transition into draft talk here. So the first round, we could probably do five hours on alone and still not have enough analysis. But uh, just for the sake of time here, let's break down the first round separately. Walk us through how we reached the Edvinson pick before, you know, without talking about Edvinson, Brad, why don't you walk us through how the picks came down the, the pipeline and what Red Wings fans thoughts were, especially as we were chatting on stream. So... Don't need to waste any time on the first two picks. They went exactly as everybody thought. Owen Power to Buffalo, Mappineers to Seattle. Nobody was surprised, even though we thought Seattle might go another direction. Beneers was heavily connected. First kind of surprise of the draft was McTavish to the Ducks at three. Not that that should be all that surprising. You know, he was a late riser, great prospect at a premium position. We just didn't hear any rumors connecting him to Anaheim, at least none that were too significant or too prominent. Um, that being said, I think I talked about it in the live stream as well, is we should have seen this one coming. Mason McTavish fixed, fits the Ducks' MO to the letter. So, you know, they they love the type of player that McTavish is, and they have for a while. So, you know, hindsight 2020, that makes perfect sense, and that's a great pick for them. Luke Hughes to New Jersey. 
no surprise. Uh, absolutely could justify him as a fourth overall pick on merit. And then you factor in his brother being there. You know, no surprise. I would say pretty big surprise at five with Kent Johnson going to Columbus. He wasn't connected to them there. Um, there were no rumors that he was one of the guys that they were targeting. And based on most rankings and mocks, he was probably slated to go eighth or ninth, uh, depending on who you talk to. I had him at four and I was definitely one of the outliers. And when I released my rankings and talked about my rankings, that was the one I got questioned on the most, even though I didn't have Owen Power number one, <laughs> which I thought was the one I was going to get absolutely raked over the coals for it. And I didn't get a lot of pushback on that. It was, it was having Kent Johnson so high. So to see him go one spot behind my rankings was selfishly a little satisfying. Uh, obviously wanted him in Detroit. So that stung a little bit. And then it led to the interesting dynamic. And this is, I think where most of the debates going to come from for the rest of the summer, uh, not just from me, but from Red Wings fans in general is my number one ranked prospect was available at six to the Red Wings and the Red Wings did not take him, which was William Eklund. Instead, they went with the super big, super skilled uh, left shot Swedish defenseman, Simon Edmondson, which on value is a perfectly fine pick. Love the player, have the question marks, which we'll get into. But the crux of the pick, I don't think for any most people, is that they dislike Edvinson. The people who question the pick are like, yeah, Edvinson's great, but Eklund was there, and this team needs goals. Um, yeah. Especially, too, I would consider, even before the Edvinson pick, and even before the Bouillon pick, left shot D was the strength of the Red Wings farm system between Johansson, Wallander, Sabrango, Vero, McIsaac, they weren't lacking there. Now, none of those guys have the upside. Edvinson does. So, obviously, I am a big believer in pick best player available. And to the Red Wings, Simon Edvinson was the best player available, and they took him, and I respect the hell out of it. When you're picking sixth overall, you should not look down the depth chart in your organization at all. You get an impact player because Edvinson immediately leapfrogs every single one of the left shot defensemen in the Red Wings organization. So they do not matter relative to this pick. We're now staring down the barrel of a Edvinson cider first pairing in five years, which could, and I say this fully, literally, could be the best pairing in the entire NHL. Ooh. A lot of ifs there. That's the and to now dig into uh, Edmondson specifically. That's I wanna, a big if. Sorry. Before you get into Edmondson, I, I want to say, um, I think you did a good job illustrating there, Brad, the the differences between you know your best player available and also like addressing need and and uh, there's some differing opinions, obviously across Red Wings fandom, but even across us three. I, I know we had a good amount of healthy debate on on the stream when this pick happened regarding the strengths of, of the system. So just as a primer for all of this, we're going to get into some, I think, good discussion here. As a Red Wings fan, it is totally okay and there's a big window where you can discuss and debate the um, the impact of a pick or the decision-making of a pick 
without it being a knock on the player. And that's what Brad said. This isn't like if someone disagrees, it's actually not an indictment on Edmondson. Um, or if they wanted Edmondson and not, you know, uh, Eklund, the inverse, like you can say this player might have been more impactful for the organization, but it doesn't mean that Edmonton is like a wasted pick or, you know, Anaheim wasted a pick by taking um, McTavish or whatever it might be. It's important to distinguish that early because sometimes these these debates get a little bit polarizing and then people walk away thinking, oh, you know, Evan really hates the Moritz Cider pick. And it's like, well, no, not really. He's just talking about the inherent value of picking it, whatever. So that's the primer for the discussion at hand. Before I throw back to you, Brad, even though I had Edmondson, Edmondson ranked lower than all three of us, I had Edmondson ranked 11th. Brad, you had him ranked uh, ninth, and Evan, you had him ranked fifth. Um, what I love about the Edmondson pick is he was the poster boy in the end for the strategy for the entire draft, which was shoot for the moon. You're swinging for the fences. And that's something we'll get into when we talk about the entire strategy of the draft after the pick-by-pick analysis. But that, to me, is the 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 highlight, and that's what sticks in my head when we talk about Simon Edmondson at six overall. So... Let's talk about the player that the Red Wings picked. So the first big debate that came up on Twitter about Edmondson was the whole ceiling versus floor argument. And a lot of people came in saying, oh, well, every prospect's a risk. So why are we talking about that? Well, inherently you're right, but they're not to the same degrees. The concerns about Edmondson's games are more concerning traits than if someone didn't have a good shot or wasn't a good stick handler. He has questions about decision-making and pace, which are the, are two huge, huge factors into succeeding in the NHL. He can skate exceptionally well, above average north-south speed, but much like Mo Sider, just exceptional edge work and lateral skating and backward skating. Just is able to play any position in the defensive zone and transition from one player to another or transition from defense to offense like that because of how good he is on his edges. He's got exceptional hands, which is rare to see in a defenseman. And this is where he differs from most Sider because Sider doesn't have the exceptional hands. Edvinson does. He can turn guys inside out. Now that's that generally doesn't happen all that often in the NHL and you know, when you say, oh, he turns guys in junior inside out, that's not going to happen in the NHL. No, and you're right. But those puck skills still translate to the NHL in different ways. If you can turn a junior inside out, you can play keep away in the NHL pretty effectively because you have the hands to do it. When he is being, when he is in pressure in his own end, he can make those quick moves to evade pressure and buy himself a couple extra seconds. And with his excellent skating, really, you truly utilize it. When he's walking the blue line in the offensive zone, if he has those pressure, those quick hands are going to allow him to change angles or get out of a dicey situation. He's got an average shot. His shot's nothing special, but it's between his skating, his passing, and his stick handling. He can really, really make things happen. All while being 6'4", over 200 pounds. Yeah. The problem is he doesn't always execute these plays quick enough. And some of the plays he chooses to execute are ungood. (laughs) 
<laughs> to put it kindly. Now, he makes the right play more often than not, but he makes the wrong play often enough that it raised some red flags. Now, it's easy to teach a guy to skate. It's easy to teach a guy to shoot. It's easy to teach a guy to stick handle to, cert- to varying degrees. It's hard to teach a guy to be smarter on the ice. Not impossible. So he absolutely can do it. And for all we know, a lot of his poor decisions could have been made because of the systems he was in, the players he was playing with. Because you can watch a guy turn the puck over behind his net and go, oh, that was terrible. That was atrocious. Okay, well, where were his outlets off camera? Do we know? Did he have anywhere to put it? Was his only option there glass and out? There's nuance to those. So I I don't bury guys because of it. But my ultimate point being here, if he doesn't improve on those areas, He's not an impact player in the NHL, whether we want to accept that or not. He can still, because of his raw tools, I I almost don't see reality where he's not in the NHL, but there is a possibility on both ends of the spectrum where he's a bottom pairing defenseman who is good enough to, you know, maybe get some tough matchups and, and play some good defense and play a safe style game. There's a possibility he's the number one elite defenseman challenging for Norris's every once in a while because his ceiling is so high. That's what we're talking about when we say ceiling versus floor. A guy like Willie Mecklin's floor isn't that low because he doesn't have as big of question marks in his game. His hockey IQ, his decision-making, his pace, his puck skills, his skating are all great. So his low end is still probably a second liner. But... I don't see Willie Mecklin winning an Art Ross because his his skills aren't anything super, super elite. He doesn't have Edvinson's size. He doesn't have Edvinson's skating in terms of the edge work, even though Eklund's is really good. And he, he their puck skills are, are pretty similar. Eklund's probably better. But Edvinson has all of that while playing defense, which yeah. gives it a, a multiplier. However big that multiplier is, is up to you. So... The variance here on what Simon Evanson could be is very, very large. And now it's in the Red Wings court. Can they properly develop this guy into a star? Yeah. So a quick summary, just to put this in a box. The Red Wings got a massive, you know, six foot four, 200 pound defenseman who has really good skating, really great skills, can play in tight, which is hard if you're a guy that big. Like, I mean, funny enough, that's the second guy in the Red Wings system who can do that because Elmer Soderbloom also has similar skills for a colossal player um, and is at a position of need. I know you, Brad, you said that the Red Wings are strong at left D and I, I understand and I agree, but I also think that the Red Wings need to start having top end, like actual first pair projected players. So in my mind, left D was one of the holes, like they needed an opposite to Moritz Sider and that's what they got here. That's what they're they're shooting to get. And the point you touched on at the end, that it's now in the Red Wings court, that is exactly right. I called Edmondson a high-risk pick, and I got some pushback on that. I know when Ken, when he talked to us, he he said risk maybe isn't the best label. And I talked to a few people who are really you know knowledgeable about Swedish prospects, and they, they kind of said what you said, Brad, which is that with all the tools he has, he's going to be in the NHL. Like, it's probably not going to shake out where, you know, this is worst case scenario. Um, but the risk comes in that you really need to put all those things together in a way where you unlock his ability to make the right decision 
know when to deploy those skills and use all the tools in his toolbox at the right time. The fortunate thing is, I think defensemen have a lot longer of a timeline to pan out. So yeah, hockey IQ in general, that's harder to come by, but I think it's it's a little bit different in defensemen than it is with forwards, right? So if all we need for Edvinson is patience and some really careful curation and refinement of his game to smooth out those rough edges, I'm confident that this guy could be a top pairing left left defenseman. And if he is, then as someone who also had William Eklund as the, the highest ranked player left on the board there, I had him third overall on my list. I think Edvidson is is best case scenario for Detroit. I advocated all year swing for the fences, especially in a draft where maybe the top end talent is weaker. So you go for either a Kent Johnson or a Simon Edvinson. And in our draft previews, we talked about those two guys as being high risk, high reward players. And that's what the Red Wings took. They took the one of the two left that was there. So in my mind, is it ballsy? Yeah. Do the Red Wings have the biggest impact player that they could have possibly taken if everything goes right? Yeah. And what else is that they have him in Sweden with Nick Cronwall. They have him there with Hakan Anderson. They have him there with the entire development team that's already done good work with Mo Sider, that's already doing good work with their other Swedish prospects. All eyes are on Simon Edmondson and all eyes are on the Red Wings uh, draft team here because this is a pick where they are closing their eyes and swinging for the fences. But I think that's absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, and the one thing, too, that the optimistic view on the on my negative view of his decision-making is, and, and this kind of really came to me as I was watching, I think uh, Dylan Krill posted a highlight reel of some of, the, some of his season, and one thing I truly remarkably respect about Simon Edmondson is he has a level of I don't give a shit on the ice that is to be admired because he will try anything, anywhere, anytime. Now, in Jeff Blashill's Detroit Red Wings uh, system, that absolutely will not fly. And that will get him stapled to the bench very quickly. But as I was thinking about it, is his poor decision making linked to the fact that he was playing against players who are f- way below him in skill level? And he knows he can get away with that more often than not because... He can like one of the plays on the highlight reel is coming behind his own net um, going towards his opposite side. He was had a, a guy chasing him and a guy in front of him and pulled it on his backhand through the guy in front of him into his own net and turned like in front of his own net and turned it into a clean transition. You can't do that against NHLers and he probably doesn't try that against NHLers. So but because that player who is coming in on him is probably some nobody that skates at half the speed he does. He's like, yeah, I can, I can do it. It's fine. So, you know, if he stops trying that stuff as often, that's probably going to ease a lot of the the turnovers and the questionable decision-making he has. But at the same time, I really don't want him to lose that mentality. Like you need that mentality when you have the skill he has. If a guy makes five amazing plays a game and gets burned on one of them that's still a net positive right you know not every amazing play you make is going to end up in the net not every time you turn it over is going to end up in your net so you still want guys to try things and i'm not going to get into my whole spiel about how that's one of the biggest flaws with the red wings as a team right now but what's um, the quote with the uh the lion and the kitty cat something like yeah it's easier to tame a lion than it is to 
teach a cat to be a lion or something along those lines. So yeah, I have to let Fred know. <laughs> Sorry, Fred. Yeah, so I love the swing for the fences, and I'm hoping some of the question marks we have about him is because of the quality competition he played for most of the year. Now that's not the full story, but hey, it's a, it's the optimistic view. Well, as the only of the three of us who had him and as one of their preferred picks at the sixth overall spot, I'd like to say you're welcome. Hey, hey, hey. And, he was uh, in my tier. He was in my tier there. Was it on uh, the was it on the stream, Bra- uh, Ryan? No, it was wasn't it on, on the screen. screen. Oh, that Evan's was. the only one who can gloat. <laughs> Thank you. There's video evidence of this. Um, I would say I generally agree with what you guys have said so far about Simon Edvinson and your your evaluation of the pick. Um, I know <laughs> on the live stream, I knew I just knew it was going to be Edvinson with Eklund sitting there, and then Ed, Eklund would go one after just because uh, just because it's Brad. I already knew it. I knew 100 percent that that's what was happening. I literally put that in our chat as it flipped over to the Red Wings pick. I forget what I said, but I'm like, this is Edvinson. I feel it in my bones. It was either that or Wallstead. That was basically it. But um, yeah, I saw a lot of people on on social media freaking out over the pick and, and whatnot. And I think people are selling Simon Edvinson way too short. Like, it's very rare you see someone that big... Um, have the skating ability he has plus the hands that he has um, those guys don't come around very often um i think you know people have critiqued his decision making and his ability to defend you know he's still ultra young so i think it's more of an, a maturity factor more than a decision making factor and a, an I, iq thing um everybody knows defensemen take longer to really mature and bloom into a professional full-time NHLer. I think he's no he's no exception to that either. I think you know, give him more time to develop. I think that immature I'll say immaturity, but for a lack of a better of a word, um I think that will he'll grow out of that with proper development. So, um I don't really think it's that big of a swing for the fences. I think his game is going to translate exceptionally well to the NHL level. Like at worst, I think he's a top four defenseman at absolute worst. And I think that is exceptionally good. You know, maybe people don't feel like that's great value at six, um, given other players that were potentially available. But at the end of the day, this is a draft where most players either didn't play or played a handful of games. So there is an element of risk regardless of who you were picking. Um, I I love the pick. Um, if him and Mo Sider are the top two defensemen in Detroit going forward, I, I feel for the other team because it is going to be hard to play the Red Wings going forward. And I think now what they're going to really have to do is make sure that the goal scoring really comes from either the draft or through trades. Um, And this team could be lined up for success very quickly. Just want to get one more because Evan made a good point. Because you say it's more likely than not he's going to be a great defenseman. And when I say variance, I could see him as a number one. I could see him as a number six. I do stand by that still. But I think I made that sound like it's equal odds and it's not. 
I I think the most likely outcome for Edmondson, based on what I've seen from him, is he's going to either be a, a pretty good number two, maybe a really, really good number three. That's that's where I see him fitting into a really good team. Now, like I said, where we talk about ceiling floor, he could overperform that. He has the tools to overperform that. I'm not going to say it's highly likely, but it's there. I think ultimately what we're going to get out of Edvinson is a really good number two to three defenseman who can play both special teams. At the end of the day, I think the pictures here after the entire draft as to what Steve Eisenman is trying to build. And honestly, you don't need to look further than the teams he had in, in Detroit when he started winning cups. He wants to build a stout blue line. He wants to have a clear top pair where both guys on the left with Simon Edvinson on, on the right with Moritz Sider they can both be responsible in their own zone. They both have some capacity of an offensive game. Edvinson would much more so than Sider in my mind. Um, eating minutes and being incredibly hard to play against, like Evan said. So honestly, I'm, I'm glad, Evan, that you have a different take there in terms of where his floor is. I think, you know, Edvinson, or Edvinson uh, Evan, you're a lot more confident that he's going to turn into a solid NHLer more than anything. And, and I appreciate that. And I can see the argument. I think I fall a little bit more towards Brad in terms of how the impacts might be there. That's also because of the way I played defense, <laughs> watching watching Edvinson dangle right in front of his own net kind of gave me like uh, minor heart attacks. But like you said, Brad, you you want to you don't want to get rid of that. You want to hone it. You want to refine it. So the summary pick here is that the Red Wings picked an ultra talented player at a position of need at a size of need. It's kind of like a unicorn, and you don't get chances at unicorns very often. So, is he look? Does he look like the perfect pick right now uh, in terms of like doing all those things perfectly? No, because if he did, he he'd go first overall. But no defenseman do at his age. So now it's on the Red Wings to develop him. So that's the quick um, first of very many discussions on uh, on Simon Edvinson at six overall. So. That's how that pick went. And it wasn't a surprise. I think Edmondson was within range and, and anyone who was tuned into the draft knew that the that the Red Wings would be interested in him, in him just by virtue of where he played, the position he played, and how he played. Um, we were looking forward to the Red Wings picking 23rd overall, which was the 22nd pick in the draft because pick 11 was forfeited. Um, and then the trade happened. And we have to admit, this is one of the lowest probability events, in our opinions, I think collectively, as to what would happen. Because we did not envision that the Red Wings would be, or Steve Eisman would be that aggressive in moving up from pick 23. But he moved up eight spots in the draft. Pick 23, pick 48, which was the uh, second of their three second round picks that they had before the Letty trade. And then pick 138, which was a fourth round pick. Um, those three picks for pick 15 in the draft from Dallas. When they moved up, be honest, who did you guys think that the Red Wings were moving up for? Fedor Svechkov. Or Wallstedt. Those are my two. I thought for sure it was Wallstedt. Yeah, I thought Wallstedt. I maybe Lucius. No, I was I was pretty sure. I, I would say I was eighty percent sure it was a goalie they were going up for because I liked the centers that were there. Um, you know, Svechkov, Lucius, etc. None of those centers are are game breakers. You don't you don't move up for a game breaker. Now, 
we've had the goalie conversation at length in the first round about how they're you so you do move up risk. for a game breaker you Sorry, do yeah, move yeah, up you, for do, a game you do go up for a game breaker you don't go up for someone who doesn't fit that mold and you know svechkov as much as we loved him and he was very very high on our boards he's a two three c that's not a game breaker we love Chaz lucius but he's a very one-dimensional player one hell of a dimension but that's not a game breaker you don't move up for him a starting goalie who and two goalies in this draft who legit could be superstars in the nhl yeah that's game breaker caveat with goalies far bigger risk huge risk because there's a chance sebastian cosa never plays a game for the red wings there's a chance he wins a Vesna with the Red Wings and everything in between is also possible. So, so it's, yeah, that's hard hitting yeah. analysis from Brad Crisco. <laughs> but it's, it's true though. Like it sounds like a simplistic statement that Fedor Svechkov could win the heart. Fedor Svechkov could not play in the NHL. That statement doesn't apply because there's nobody in the world who says Fedor Svechkov's ever going to be a heart winner. Right. So. It it sounds like a stupid, simplistic statement, but it it's not. Now, so the pick was let's let's say it for the record here. The pick did come in, and it was Sebastian Cosa um, out of the Western Hockey League. He played for Edmonton, six foot six, two hundred ten pounds, um, ultra athletic goalie who very few people had ranked above Jesper Wallstedt. I think all three of us had Wallstedt as the higher ranked goalie. Pronman was one of the the few people uh, who had Kosa ranked higher, but um, was a bona fide first round goalie by all accounts coming into this. We never thought it wasn't a possibility. We just assumed uh, if the Red Wings were going to go goalie, they'd go with the Swede, um, especially who was touted to be, you know, a phenomenal talent. So, uh, yeah, the Red Wings moved up eight picks. They moved up eight picks for a goalie, and they moved up eight picks for the goalie that nobody was expecting to be out of the two. I think the only person who was expecting it was Sebastian Kosa. Mm-hmm. I think he had a quote saying he thinks he's the best goalie in the draft. Hell yeah. Which I I love that. You I, need that. That is exactly what I want to hear from yeah. someone you just drafted. Now, it shouldn't be too shocking because in his work leading up to the draft, Corey Pronman noted that about 30 to 40% of scouts had Kosa ahead of Wallstead. So it was not a heavy majority for Wallstead. It was a slight majority. And uh, Bob McKenzie said the same thing. He said, hey, Kosa could go ahead. Um, This is where the theme of Iserman's draft really started, or uh, Iserman's mindset really came to fruition because much like Edvinson, who was probably the highest ceiling, lowest floor of the guys available in the consensus top nine, Kosa's got a higher ceiling than Wallstedt, but he's not as refined. He's not as technically sound as Wallstedt. So if everything goes right for him, he's he's legitimately a potential Vesna winner. He, he's not as he, he tends to lose his not tends. Like here's the thing with Kosa and Wallstedt. Their weaknesses are minimal. They're not gigantic weaknesses or else you're not a first round pick as a goalie. To be a first round pick in the NHL as a goalie, your game has to be damn near flawless. Um, And Wallstedt's game is, like I said, more refined. Kosa's very technically sound, not to the point Wallstedt is. He does have some instances where he loses his net or overcommits to something, 
but it's not that often. It's not a super huge concern, but he's also a six foot six goalie who's a freak athlete and is technically sound. That's rare. <laughs> that is super rare. Um, he was 17, one and one with a 941 save percentage in the WHL. Now he played on a strong team in a weak division. That's worth noting, but check out his backup goalies numbers. They're not that. So everything here points to superstar goalie. The only, the only, only, only caveat two two question marks around this pick are, was it too much value given up to move up? And goalies are voodoo. <laughs> so this could be a grand slam or a strikeout. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But I, I, I'm leaning towards it's going to be a grand slam because, you know, you take the optimistic view until proven otherwise. So I want to address, I want to jump back to the, you were talking about the differences in their game. And I want to take this as an angle from someone who did have Wallstead ranked higher. You you said Wallstead is very technically sound. And it doesn't mean Wallstead's not athletic, but he just had to re- rely on that athleticism a lot less. So always key with his positioning, always tracking the puck super well, very calm, pretty much put himself in a position where the puck always had to was always going to hit him in the chest. Doesn't have to make a spectacular save. That doesn't mean Kosa is some wild card who's flying across the net. No. Kosa is also very technically sound. Not as like, you know, ultra talented in terms of the the technical positioning at this point in his career as Wallstedt uh, is Kosa. But um, it's still, like you said, at a high enough level where he is absolutely dominating the games that he's playing. But that athleticism, that and this is what Chris Draper talked about, that athleticism with that six foot six frame is why they took him. From someone who had him ranked lower, even I have to admit, if you are six foot six and you are ultra athletic and you are already still you're already really, really good with your positioning and, and your technical game, you move around your net really well, you have fantastic reaction time. Positioning angles when to be aggressive, when to play close, closer to the net and everything. That's all stuff you work with your goalie coach on. That's all stuff that can be refined as you're developing. That's all stuff that you'll you'll work through as you play in the AHL and your your initial years in the NHL. Like that stuff comes into play. It's not a perfect translation, but you know, Brad talks about hockey IQ. Athleticism in a goalie really really similar. Like it's hard to teach that kind of athleticism. Again, this is the same as Edvinson in my mind, philosophically. They are swinging for the fences. They are going for the guy where if he hits as a goalie, you are looking at an upper echelon goalie in the NHL. You are looking at a top tier, not just a starting goalie, like a top 10 starting goalie. From someone who thought it would be Wallstead and would have picked Wallstead in that position, again, I can't hate on this pick at all. You're right, Brad. There's a base level of risk when it's a goalie, but... If they needed a goalie for the future, that's what they got in Kosa. It might sound ridiculous of a comparison, um, but at a high level, Wallstead kind of reminds me like with the poise and the, te- the technical ability of like a carry price. And like he's just always in the right position and it makes it look so easy. And then I see Kosa more. He, he looks Reminds me a bit of Ben Bishop and Vasilevsky if they if they had a a, a child, um, like ultra athletic and 
and, and massive, um, even though he's taller than Vasilevsky. Um, and I think, you know, if he's that big and has supreme athleticism, I think they can refine that no problem. And it's not to say like he's this wild man out there playing a Hasek style type goaltending. Um, he is very technical as well. Um, you know, his numbers are great on Edmonton and like, it's tough being a goalie on a stacked team. You just stand there most of the time while your team just runs the other team into the ground. So the fact that he's able to stay mentally composed and still makes one save every 12 minutes is, uh, is, is really good to see out of someone his age. Um, in terms of the philosophy, I don't, Edmonton threw me off with who needed the goalies. So, but I'm sure we'll get to that. I really didn't know, wasn't sure if both goalies would be gone by Detroit. Knowing what we know with Edmonton now, I bet they would be. Um, but hey, I I appreciate every GM who goes for something and executes a move and they 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 stick to their guns. So the fact that the Red Wings moved up eight spots in the first round and took the goalie and did not take Wallstedt, which I thought was very telling for a team that has a very strong European scouting team. Um, that that's a, that's a great pick in my books. If they're that confident in Kosa. And the one thing we should mention here, cause we're talking like they're polar opposite goalies when they're really not just Kosa is the more athletic goalie. Wallstedt's the more technical to like, quantify this with some arbitrary numbers if Wallstedt's technical game is a 9 out of 10 his athleticism is an 8 out of 10 Kosa's yeah. athleticism is a 9 out of 10 and his technical game is an 8 out of 10 like there we're talking in the margins here just it's it's harder to <laughs> differentiate between goalies and their styles than it is players so it is here now the one concern that we should probably mention especially considering when we had Kat Silverman, noted goalie expert on the podcast, she brought up the Red Wings haven't been the strongest organization for developing goalies. So to give up a lot of draft capital to move up those eight spots and then thus take with a 15th overall pick a goalie, you damn well better be confident you're going to develop them properly. And honestly, that's my biggest concern in this pick because the interviews with Kosa seeing how poised, composed, confident he is. We know how talented he is. I'm not all that worried about Kosa himself. I'm worried about what they do with him because it is very, very relevant to point out. He is a late 02 birthday. He only has one more year in junior unless they want to send him back as an overager, which will probably be useless for him before he probably needs to be in the AHL. So they better Make damn sure they have a progression plan for him that isn't going to stagnate his development. He can't sit on the bench for a year in Toledo or Grand Rapids. They have to have a plan to get him games at whatever level he's feeling confident in. And they better have a goalie coach who is refining his game to the best possible abilities. Because if you take that much draft capital, especially a mid-first round pick, and you blow it after the fact, that's worse than just missing on the pick. Oh, yeah. That, that, would, that, that was a big boy move. That was a big boy move. And if it doesn't pan out and it ends up being like 
the Chikrin draft with Chalosky and Ken Holland trying to galaxy brain it. Yeah, that looks horrible. But if it pans out, oh my God, does Steve Eisman look like an absolute wizard. And it's like, I can't believe he did this. And it it was just a stroke of genius. So yeah, there's kind of only, you can only be at one end of the spectrum or the other on this, I think. Yeah, I think with the Edmondson pick, there's a little bit more discussion here, right? Like Brad, we have the the difference of opinion where I think that the left defense was a big hole because they had no one at the top end. And you look at all the, you know, middle to or high middle to middling prospects there on the left side. And you're like, oh, no, the left side's still good. They just don't have that one piece. Everyone thinks that the Red Wings needed a, a goaltender of the future. You know, they just traded for Alex Nedeljkovic, which we talked about on the the emergency pod, and we'll have more on that to come. But they need a long, long term goalie of the future. Some people might be saying, why would they take uh, Kosa even after trading for Nedeljkovic? Well, I mean, we chatted about this a little bit. Nedeljkovic is 25, which is still young. Uh, Carolina did all the developing for Detroit. So thank you, Carolina, for that. Um, What's the worst case scenario here? Detroit has two fantastic goalies. That's a great bridge to cross when you come to it. But there's a lot that can happen between now and then, and you can't in the NHL give yourself only one option at a position, especially the position that is oftentimes one of the most important, if not the most important on the ice. So in my mind, as someone who did not have Kosa pinned for that pick, again, can't hate on it. Well, it's also worth talking about because one of the reasons Prashanth outlined for why he's usually anti-goalie first round is teams over-ripening goalies, you lose value because you wait five, six years before you see them. Like Nedeljkovic, great example, 25-year-old rookie for Carolina. That They lost a lot of years of Alex Nedeljkovic. Now, whether or not you want to say that's the development or if he was over-ripened, who cares? I'm not having that argument right now. There is a reality here where Kosa follows Spencer Knight's path just in a different direction. He has one more year in the WHL. If he dominates that and he spends one year in Grand Rapids and he has a fantastic year, now you're looking at a pending UFA in Alex Ndelkovic and your goalie of the future tearing it up one level below Detroit. Spencer Knight was drafted two years ago and is now a Florida Panther. We can't rule out Sebastian Kosa being a Detroit Red Wing when Nedeljkovic's contract expires. If they... If Nedeljkovic refuses to sign and they trade him for assets or they lose him as a UFA, without Kosa, we're right back to where we were a week ago, which was what the hell are we going to do in net? So, you know, it's a good insurance plan. And what's the best, best case scenario here? Nedeljkovic knocks it out of the park. They extend him long term or, you know, three, four, five, six years, something like that. Kosa's is back up for a couple of years and now you have two starting goalies. If you have an upper tier starting goalie available in the trade market, you're going to recoup some pretty significant assets. Yeah, that was one thing I was going to add is, you know, with Spencer Knight uh, skyrocketing as as well as he has, I was thinking, you know, this is with the NHL being the copycat league that it is like teams are going to take notice that they can start taking these uber talented goaltenders in the first round and inject them into the roster far quicker than they used to. Um and I think Kosa is no exception. Like, I think he can at some point outplay Nedeljkovic. And I think it would be great for him to to learn at the NHL level. Like, 
I'm just yeah. If if they didn't draft a goalie and Nedeljkovic walked, then the Red Wings are in bigger trouble than if they traded up and, and got Nedeljkovic or uh, Kosa. All right, let's start walking through the rest of the picks. That's the first round. We are going to come back and talk about some of the things that happened in terms of players that were either left on the board or um, some of the overall strategy pieces here. But let's go through player by player. Uh, Very quickly, the Red Wings originally had pick 38, but they traded to move up two spots to pick 36 uh, to get the New Jersey Devils original pick, which Vegas owned. Uh, so they traded for pick 36, they traded pick 38 and pick 128, which was from uh, Tampa Bay. Oh, also, I, earlier I said it was a um, a fourth round pick for that was involved in the trade with Dallas. It was a fifth round pick. My apologies. So that was Ottawa's fifth round pick that Detroit moved to Dallas. So they Detroit traded their uh, second round pick, which was pick 38 and Tampa Bay's fourth round pick 128 for pick 36. They moved up and they took shy Booyam. So let's talk about shy Booyam, the defenseman that the Red Wings took with pick 36, who, uh, was drafted out of Sioux city in the USHL. Now this is the classic example of really like the player. Don't like the pick. Because I know I was a little critical, like not super critical, but a little critical when they made this pick. Because Shai Buyam is, again, another big defenseman who can skate with skill. A lot of his strengths and weaknesses mirror Simon Edvinson's. Not to the same degrees, obviously. Hence why Buyam was picked in the second round and Edvinson was at top 10. But he shows a lot of creativity with the puck. He has puck skills. He has good skating. Um, he tries things on the ice uh, every once in a while. That leads to turnovers, bad plays, you know, et, et cetera. So I'm not going to repeat the Edvinson discussion. Just know a lot of the same things apply. For value at 36, he's a great pick. Like this is a guy with top two, three, four upside as a defenseman. Again, risky. Um, and not nearly as sure a bet as Edvinson is to make the NHL. And, and I love the player. So in a bubble, Shai Buiam at 36, fantastic pick. We've already talked at length about all the left shot defensemen the Red Wings have. And we're going to talk about it later. Not only did I have better players on the board, they were at direct positions of need. I still don't know who's scoring goals for the Red Wings long-term. They left Logan Stankovin, Nikita Cheprikov, Atu Ratu, Francesco Pinelli, all on the board for this pick, all players I had rated higher than Shai Buyam. As much as I, and I can't stress this enough, I really, really, really like Shai Buyam. It's hard to justify this pick for me. And again, if he was best player on the Red Wings board and they're not even looking at position, I agree with the strategy and I agree with the mentality. But for me and what I would have done, I would have went a complete different direction here. Well, Shai Buyam, we should say, is, you know, one of the smaller defensemen that the Red Wings drafted, standing only six foot three, two hundred ten pounds. So <laughs> But no, I I think this to me, again, it fits the mold of their swinging for the fences. This is a guy who has 
a crazy amount of dynamic offensive ability. He has a lot of talent, a lot of gaps in his game. Like he's pretty turnover prone, doesn't always position himself in a way where he can recover as a defenseman back. Um, Then again, for someone with that much ability, you can see it does translate to offensive plays. It does translate to high danger chances. It does translate to scoring. It translates to zone exits and entries. Turnovers happen, but uh, again, you refine those parts of his game, then you're looking at someone like Brad said, not just top four potential, maybe something even more. We talked about goaltending. You can't just have one answer at goalie. You can't really just have only one or two answers at, at any other position on the ice. I do agree with Brad, though. This is a lot of left D. But I also am trying not to get too narrowed into this one bubble or one draft. There's no team that's built just through one draft, right? So, yeah, someone needs to score, and, and that does need to be resolved. Eisman uh, took some time to address that. He he knows that scoring in the, the forward group is is not as built out in terms of prospects right now, and he has some work to do both in future drafts and in other ancillary moves as a GM. He said, I'm going to have to be active in free agency. I'm going to have to work trades. I'm going to have to do other things. So there's a lot of options here. Um, is it the most attractive thing to know that your your offensive group is going to have to be filled out that way? No, because that costs, asset, costs assets. But there's no team really that's built completely through the draft. And you never know what's going to happen in future years. So yeah, if they had Shai Booyam as their guy and they traded it up to get him, that conviction tells me they're confident his game will continue to improve. This is a player who showed a lot of a lot of progression as he's uh, moved on, not over year, not just year over year, but last season alone. Um, I'm happy to have a very, very offensively talented player coming in the pipeline for them. Yeah, I think I, I agree with both of you. It, it was really, a, you know, the value on the board versus the pick itself. Like, there's always that debate. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure where you fell, fell on this, Ryan, but I totally agree with Brad, you know, leaving a lot of value on the table um, with some of those guys that were projected, you know, maybe even the high teens in the first round who were still there. Um but just looking at the pick itself, I think Shai Booyam, he thinks the game really well. Um, his offensive upside is is very good. Um, and I'm not surprised there was sort of a team that kind of fell in love with him and moved up to get him. Um, he is big. Uh, the thing I noticed with how big he is, is he's not like he weighs a ton of weight. So I'm hoping they can, you know, figure that out you know reproportionalize him to be a little bit more muscular because he's not that explosive of a skater that's probably why he's not in the first round um among other things um but i think it's a good pick um but like you guys said um i would have been jumping over the boards to to pick up other guys like stankovin hell even aturati at that point um would have been a great pick um so in a bubble, I, I really like this pick. I think he has a very high chance of playing valuable minutes uh, in the NHL. Um, but looking at the the whole picture, it it's it's a little head scratching, for sure. But I'm not upset about the pick one bit. And it's it's worth noting that leading into the draft, there were a lot of rankings and a lot of mock drafts that had Booyam in the first. So this was not a reach. Like I said, value. It was fine. My favorite part about this, though, just to rub a little bit of salt in the wounds, 
is the Red Wings only ended up with one second round pick because they traded one of them to Dallas to go up and get Coast, and they traded one of them to the Islanders for Letty. And in that round, the Stars took Logan Stankovic and the Islanders took Aturati. <laughs> just, just to yeah. drive it home a little bit more. <laughs> but it's it's fine. Whatever. I'm not I'm not going to get hung up on it. I just had a good laugh when I saw that. So yeah, I always find it fine. so weird in the draft when. There, well, this drafts there was a lot more, but in one draft, like we'll say the Joe Joe Valeno, they just keep falling and falling and falling, and you're like, yeah. did was there something passed around that none of us were told about? Like, like how was this guy still the on the board? Like, I just don't understand. Pinelli, Stankovin, Chiprikov, Ratty's like still just free falling in the draft when everybody had them much higher. So uh, that happened a lot this draft. Maybe it shouldn't be so surprising, but I always just find it very perplexing when some guys just literally free fall. Yeah, honestly, coming into the second round, I was talking uh, to someone before and I said, there's all these guys, there's Stankovin, there's Chibrikov, there's, uh, you know, a bunch of players who I know a lot of people like. I liked a lot of them. 90% of them are going to be on the board for the Red Wings and they're going to take none of them because that's just how it goes. And that's not that they're wrong. It's just that that's just how we play the scouting game when we do the prospect games. And we were talking to Ken Daniels about this. It's our job to do the numbers and the rankings and the hypotheticals. But scouting groups work differently and they have their guy. And at the end of the day, we always say, if you have your guy, you should go get him. They moved up two spots to get him. Eisman and Draper got their guy. I'm not mad that they didn't take the players that we thought they would. I'm just I'm happy that they took a player that I, I think is still really good for that spot. Yeah, I've been beating to death for years on this podcast. Take best player available. And Booyam was clearly their best player available. And they went up and they got him. And I respect it. And I agree with the mentality. If they think he's the best player available comfortably, this was the right move. My only observation is the way this draft shook out. There's still a problem that a very big problem that needs to be addressed. Am I saying if my list mirrored the Red Wings, would I have done anything differently? No, I wouldn't have. I would have taken my best player available, even if that ended up being seven defensemen and a goalie. My list didn't line up with the Red Wings because, like I said, my my biggest gripe with taking Booyam wasn't because he was a defenseman. It's because I had my my 14th and 15th ranked players were still there. And based on my opinions of the players, I would have much rather have had them. And it would be just a bonus that they were at positions of need. But yeah, I th- this Booyah pick was, this is it. We get it. They are just going for ceiling at this point. They are taking three swings for super high-end players. And if only one of them hits, it's still a good draft. If you get one top of the lineup player out of a draft, it's an amazing draft. If you hit two above average NHL players in one draft, it's one of the best drafts you will ever have. If you get two usably usable good NHL players in a draft, it's still a really good draft. I think people forget the odds. The Red Wings just took eight players. If they get two regular NHLers out of it, it's an above average draft. So the fact that they could walk away with a top pairing defenseman in Edvinson, a, a possible start long-term starting goalie, and another top four defenseman in Booyam, 
that that would be a miracle draft. So I, I appreciate the swings. So those were Detroit's three picks to start the draft. Simon Edvinson, sixth, Sebastian Costa, 15th, uh, in which they gave up, you know, a pick, eight picks later, a second round pick and a fifth round pick. And Shai Buyam, wherein they gave up um, a pick, two picks later, and then a fourth round pick. All three of those players, to me, and, and like we can argue until the, the sun comes up about whether they're risky or not, all those players to me scream the strategy for this draft from Eisman and Draper and the Red Wings. They are swinging for the fences. They are trying to get excess value out of a draft. This draft both lacked top end superstar potential at like a guaranteed level. And also the Red Wings have had no lottery luck. They don't, they don't have the privilege of a McDavid. They don't have the privilege of a Matthews. They're not New Jersey who's won multiple times. They're not New York who's won multiple times. Like they need to find this excess value to find the top end talent. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Kosa or Edvinson or Booyam could all be busts or any one of them could be a bust. But they have a ton of players who are projected to play in their middle six, who are projected to probably play in their, their, their middle pairing or second pairing, I should say. They need top end players. They need starting goalies. They need top pairing defensemen. They need, I mean, they didn't, that's not what they tried to draft in the first two rounds here, but they need top line forwards. To me, even though I probably in their position would have picked three different players at all three picks, that's not what it's about. It's about the mentality and the strategy going in. And I can say if any or two of or all three of those players hit, then the Red Wings have addressed in a way that impacts the top end of their lineup, multiple positions of need. And you know what that does? That pushes them out of the rebuild. If the rebuild is orbit, these players hitting is extra burner or afterburners to push them out of orbit and finally send them out. Shitty analogy. If you're a new listener, I do that a lot. I can't contest that at all. I can understand why the picks might be unnerving to some people. I can't contest that at all. I think all of those individual players have such high-end potential, especially Edvinson and Kosa. That, to me, I'm all for it. Let's go. It's 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 like Buck Wild trading to move up eight spots in the first round and then trading to move up to get Booyam. Like that's the most conviction. And that's against what Steve Eisman wants to do. He said, I like to accumulate draft picks. I like to hoard draft capital. I hate spending it. And for him to do that, you have to know that they have conviction about those players and they believe in them. I'm all for it. And then what happened? <laughs> no that's all right we're uh let's start to talk about the red wings um other picks here i shouldn't say other picks it sounds diminishing but uh the red wings did have uh five picks after their first three so in the third round they took the first pick and this is probably the only pick that i'm still not scratching my head at i, I understand the reasoning it's probably the only pick that i can say i i don't love um but before we get into all that, it's 70th overall. They took Carter Mazur, uh, left winger out of Tri-City in the USHL. Um, and this is a player that the Red Wings and Chris Draper uh, was quite familiar with uh, coming up through his days uh, in minor hockey. So what did the Red Wings draft in Carter Mazur? Yeah, th- this is not the type of pick I like to make in the third round. He's an overager going into the draft. He was draft eligible last year, but he had like 13 points in 47 USHL games. 
So obviously got passed over. Uh, he did have a dramatic bit of improvement this season. He was close to a point per game and was the captain. Sioux Falls. Relative to the USHL, he's got good skill, but it's not at a level that's going to translate to the NHL. Every scouting report I read on him, the number one thing they pointed out was he works hard. Good compete, which is great. It's a great character intangible to have. Yeah, I have good compete. I'm not in the NHL, and I never will be. I'm not saying Mazer will or won't be. The fact that his improvement was so dramatic year over year makes me a little optimistic that if that continues, there could be a player here. I knew nothing of him going into this draft. He, I think I went over about 120 names before I, I actually put together my 64-player list. He didn't register. Never watched him. Never Didn't hear much about him. Didn't read much about him. So I, I don't have a super strong opinion, but this was the one pick that I can I can plainly say I just didn't like in any context. Like I said, I'm the same as Ryan. With the first three picks, do I like all three players and do I think they were good value where they were picked? Yes. Were they the guys I would have picked there? No, but I can still say because they were in the range, I like the pick. This is the one pick in the entire draft I can go, yeah, no, nah, I would have definitely gone in a far different direction and not recommended this one. He literally seems like the younger version of Darren Helm. Yeah. A s- yep. explosive, quick, elusive skater who p- gets a lot of points on the penalty kill. I didn't even, as soon as I read that, I was like, that's Darren Helm. And then I kept reading some reports and everyone kept bringing up Darren Helm, Darren Helm, Darren Helm. I don't know who Guess else was who, available uh, at that time. Yeah. Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. No, I, Ivan, I have a question for you. Guess who Carter Mazur's favorite player was growing up? Was it Darren Helm? Darren Helm. <laughs> well, they've we've clearly been able to clone human beings. Then, um, yeah, as I'm done. Reese talked about on our podcast. It, like you can, he he mentions it through the whole draft, but for me, at least the first three to four rounds, swing for upside. This isn't an upside pick. I don't remember every single player on my board that was still available at this pick, but there was a lot of them. The one that jumps out to me is a guy I had a first round grade on Simon Robertson was still available. Um, Honestly, the Red Wings next three picks who they took in the, was it fourth, fifth, uh, the fourth round pick and their two fifth round picks. I would have taken ahead of this guy and looking back at it, I still would have taken them ahead of this guy. And again, it's not to sell Mazer short. He could be a good player, but, in the third round, you don't swing for fourth liners. And everything about this guy is if he makes it, it's going to be as a Darren Helm type. And you can teach a guy, uh, I'll, not the great greatest example, but I'll just use him because everybody knows him. You can teach a guy like Atu Ratu to kill penalties and to play a defensive game. You can't teach a guy like Carter Mazur to be smart enough and skilled enough to play in the top six. So yeah. now that this is now that I'm on record as saying this is the only pick in the whole day that I really don't like, he is absolutely going to turn into a superstar and score 72 goals in the NCAA next year. But um, I'm kind of kind of trying to reverse jinx this into existence. But yeah, I think everybody gets the point. <laughs> to me, yeah, it, it's Carter Mazur's. Like, I like the pick. I like the pick later, and I think it could have been had later. 
I think it's perfectly fine for the Red Wings to like this kind of guy. And you need these kinds of players on your team. You need someone who skates well, works hard, kills penalty, wins puck battles, gets in the dirty areas. Like that's not just coach speak. You need those things. Um, and so for the Red Wings to take that player, I, I would have probably expected it in the fifth or sixth round. And I think Mazer might have been available there, but there's no way of knowing really. So it's again, it's not a knock on the player. It's a knock on, you know, maybe the value or who they took based on uh, what the board was at the time. That said, that is my one where I'm like, ooh, I'm not really sure because everything after that, that's when it got fun. Because the next pick the Red Wings made uh, at pick 114, which was in the uh, the first of their – or sorry, that was the fourth round pick, was none other than Redmond – Savage, better known as Red Savage, number one name in this draft. And this is someone who a lot of the people uh, who were following the draft were mocking to the Red Wings because they loved him. Uh, so that's a centerman out of the US and TDP. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite picks of the draft. Yeah, this is. I've seen a lot of people lumping Red Savage and his type in with Carter Mazur. And I get it because they're both like, ultra high compete defensively responsible kills penalties types of players i feel like that sells red savage short this guy has an offensive game this guy has above average skill this guy was the captain of the united states u18 team this year he was just a hair under a point per game in the usn tdp he produced he is a 200 foot player who will run through a brick wall to get the puck. He will crash the net at an unbelievable rate and does score. A lot of his goals were rebound Tyler Bertuzzi type goals, if you will. He's not this player, but I can't help but draw the comparison just because it's so crazy. A player in his draft year who scored just under a point per game in the USN TDP was billed as a really elite two-way high compete guy had a all right but not great u18s and wore a letter for team usa in the u18s anybody know who i'm describing there just an applicator dylan Dylan larkin Larkin. (laughs) now i'm not saying red savage is going to be dylan larkin he doesn't skate like dylan larkin he doesn't have the skill dylan larkin does but I'm saying don't sell Rad, Red Savage short as just this guy's going to be a fourth line grinder and hell yeah. Quite likely, if he makes the NHL, that's what he's going to be. Again, it's a fourth round pick. We're talking odds. He's got a 10% chance of even being a regular in the NHL based on history. But he does have more upside than that. If everything goes right for him, there is a productive middle six forward here who can play every situation for the Red Wings so yeah relative to his pick like where he's slotted I love this pick the 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 cool thing I like about him is like like you guys kind of said he's a Swiss army knife type player like he's a good player at all all ends of the game and all 200 feet like you need a penalty killer he's got that in spades he can provide some offense he can he can play on the lines with the guys who are those uber skilled forwards um i think this pick is excellent and if he becomes a regular in the nhl with detroit i think he would quickly become a fan favorite and he would sell a boatload of jerseys um 
yeah, he just seems like a, a great guy and a, a gr- the just the type of guy you want on a team um, that can really rally his teammates up to to get into the moment and, and, and fight through a game. A, a reliable two-way forward who plays center um, has, you know, really good compete, plays in the tough area, wins pucks ba- puck battles, but has like good upside and good puck skills. And like has a lot of offensive ability as well to his name. Like that's a coach's dream. That is genuinely a coach's dream. So yeah, far from a certainty. But if he makes it, love the pick. And Brad, uh, you had a, a rare tweet that I actually liked earlier. Um, Red Savage should be the only player in the NHL allowed to have their first and last name on the back of their jersey. So all for that. Um, again, another pick that I loved here was the Red Wings' next pick, uh, which was the first of their two fifth round picks, which was uh, Liam Dower Nielsen uh, out of. F- None other than Frölunda of Sweden. Uh, so this is another centerman. And this is a player who we learned afterwards that Hakan Andersson, the Red Wings, uh, uh, you know, mastermind of European scouting over there. Uh, he was banging his fist on the table for um, uh, Liam. So this is another pick that I really loved. And this is one that I think matched up with a lot of people's boards. It's really, really good value pick. Yeah, this is the first pick the Red Wings made since 2018 where they took the highest player available on my board. So I thank them for that. Um, relative I think that says to- more about you than the the scouts. Oh, it absolutely says more about me. <laughs> <laughs> None of it good. Um, relative to where they were picked, this is probably my favorite pick in the draft. Obviously, I don't like Dower Nilsson more than Edmondson or Kosa or whatever, but this for me... I had Nilsson as a late second, early third round guy. So getting him in the fifth round is incredible value for me because I really think this guy's got a shot to be a middle six forward. He has unbelievable hockey IQ, is not a below average skater, uh, is a fantastic playmaker. And the Red Wings third pick in the row was a captain this year. He was the captain of Sweden's U18 team, the team that had... Fabian Liesel and Simon Edvinson and Simon Robertson and all these guys, Dower Nilsson was the captain. Um, this was the guy that Hakan Anderson was banging the table for. I think it was Eisenman or Draper mentioned that. When Hakan's banging the table for someone, it gives you a lot of confidence in that pick. And I think Max put it in his article, a lot of the players from that Swedish U18 team said, who else in on this team would you recommend a team take for the draft taking this draft? And most of those guys said Liam Dower Nilsson, which is a testament to A, they really like him as a person. He's Simon Edvinson's best friend. <laughs> um Edvinson was, that was with nice him when when he was drafted, which was a really cool story to read. Um, but it means guys aren't gonna tell someone to draft a guy just because they like him. If someone's getting drafted, it means they want to play with them and Dower Nilsson's playmaking is so good. That's probably why he got a lot of recommendations because his teammates know they he makes them better. He makes their job easier on the ice. So much like Red Savage, I don't want to sell this guy short. He's a fifth round pick. He's a long shot. I get it, but I really think there's something here with this guy. Um, so if... If only one or one of him or Red Savage turns into an NHLer, again, that's amazing luck, amazing value, and I I think they both have a decent shot. So, yeah, I I really 
really liked this pick when they made it and still do. I don't know about the like how much him or Red Savage like the the center position will translate to the NHL, but if either of them do, like that is just a huge huge hit for the Red Wings. Yeah, that's probably worth noting. These guys are centers. These guys are built to be centermen. These are not guys that you're like, oh, maybe there's games better suited to the wing. No, absolutely not. These are centers. The Red Wings moved on uh, with the second pick in the fifth round because they had a trade. Uh, they did trade back from, um, what was it? They traded pick 102 to Vegas for pick 114 and 155. So Vegas took Jakob Brabenek with uh, pick 102 from Detroit. Uh, and Detroit with uh, pick 114 uh, took Red Savage. That was the fourth round pick. And then the second fifth round pick, uh, turned into Oscar Plandowski, who is a right-handed shooting defenseman out of Charlottetown in the QMJHL. Um, this is where you're getting into a point where you're saying, well, you know, these picks are, you know, they're, these are darts at the dartboard. But it's really cool to see Oscar Plandowski's, you know, he's from a hockey family. His mom, Jill Plandowski, is like a well-renowned um, power skating coach who's more like works with NHLers. Um, she works with Ethan Phillips, the Red Wings prospect, uh, Drake Batherson. Uh, and I believe Oscar Plandowski's dad is now head of amateur scouting with Arizona, is it? But still, let's talk about Oscar Plandowski, the player, smooth skating, right-handed defenseman. I know we've mentioned it before, but this is probably a good pick to mention this on. We always talk about draft philosophy from our standpoint. When you get into the later rounds, you're they're all long shots. So what are you betting on? Well, this is the point where you bet on traits and hockey IQ. And for Plandowski, you're betting on a trait because his skating is exceptional. That is like Simon Edmondson levels of good. Again, his mom's a skating coach for elite athletes. So of course, there's not a lot of offense in his game. To make note of, he's not a physically punishing defender. I wouldn't call any other trait in his game above average. But his skating is so good that if any of his other traits do take off in the coming years, there might be something there. Um, yeah, he, he's a very average player with one very above average trait. And in the fifth round, absolutely love it. Worth the gamble. Yeah, it, uh, the darts at that point, you're just thinking you want something to shine. If there was more to his game, he'd be drafted higher, right? So uh, there's something there. And if he hits, that's another really good uh, right-handed prospect for the pipeline. So uh, don't dislike that pick at all. How could you? And the last pick, mercifully, Eisenman traded Detroit's seventh-round pick this year, last year. So we were actually off the hook of the draft a little sooner. Although I was afraid he'd trade back into the seventh. But Detroit's sixth-round pick uh, was their final pick of this uh, 2021 NHL draft. And it was uh, out of Windsor uh, in the OHL, my hometown, left-winger uh, Pascal Zito. Or Brad says Pascali. Pasquale? I don't know how, how you pronounce I'm it. I'm going with Pasquale Zito because that sounds more... <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm going to say Pascal and we'll get radioed for that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that is the uh, I've seen him listed as the center somewhere, but I'm pretty sure left winger out of Windsor. Yeah, no, Pas Pasquale has more of the finger emoji to it, uh, which I'm running with until corrected because it's more fun that way. Um, this was the pit type of pick I was hoping Detroit would make 
at least once this draft. We talked at length the whole year. The OHL didn't play. They're, those Jack Quinns of this year would be unknown. Because remember, Jack Quinn in his first year in the OHL was an absolute nobody who probably wouldn't have got drafted and then scored 50 goals in his draft year and, and was a top 10 pick. Now, I'm not saying that's Pasquale Zito. But he's an unknown. He did not play a competitive game of hockey this year. Um, a lot of people had good things to say about him in what was an other un- unspectacular 16-year-old season in the OHL. Maybe he pops off. Uh, there was not a lot in his 16-year-old year to say, yeah, this guy's going to be a home run pick. But you don't know. It's a sixth round pick. None of 4% of these guys or something like that are going to turn into anything. So you might as well take a big swing on an unknown and hope he was the guy that would have been the late bloomer and shot up draft boards. If he's that guy, great. If he's not, who cares? It's a sixth round pick. Um, there was, I, I don't know if he wants me to say who it was, but I did get a DM from a scout who was, who is connected to people in Windsor who said, Hey, there's something here. Like, this isn't a throwaway pick and, and hoping like the red, not saying he's going to be a superstar, but the Red Wings might have something this year. So great. It, it, it's, it's diving into the unknown. And like I said, I was hoping they do it at least once in the late rounds. So here it is. All right. That is the Red Wings draft class. Simon Edmondson, Sebastian Kosa, Shai, Booyam, Carter Mazer, Red Savage, Liam Dower, Nielsen, Oscar Plandowski, and Pascal Zito. So, Overall draft grades before we start start to dive a little bit more into philosophy here. How do you guys rank it? And I'm going to go first because I, I want to get the arbitrary stuff out of the way. And I want to take – I'm not going to fall on the sword. I'm not a martyr here. There is a ton of range. The obvious answer to this is you can't evaluate a draft class for years afterwards, of course. But especially with how hard the Red Wings leaned into swing for the fences, you really aren't going to be able to say how well they did. Overall, I'm going to give them a straight B. I think the only pick that I really, like, I could say that I wouldn't have done or, you know, I disagree with would be Carter Mazur. Everyone else, I can either understand the reasoning and agree with it, or that's just flat out the player that I would have loved to have had which is rare because there's so many options in a draft. It's a crapshoot. Um, all the rest of them, the the logic and reasoning and the impact they could have on the team is there for me. If one of Edvinson or Kosa turns into what their ceiling is or even close, this whole draft is a win for Detroit. If Detroit gets a top-end starting goalie or a number one left-handed defenseman out of this draft, I actually don't care if they drafted Evan and Brad repeatedly for the rest of their picks. I only care about that player turning into a star for them. So for me, that's how I'm going to evaluate it, but it's just so up in the air. I think Edvinson and Kosa especially are those swing for the fences picks and, and other picks in the draft, including Booyam, fit that mold. So it's a B. I want to go higher, but I can't in good faith because I understand there's risk here, but I can't honestly get put them lower because for me, the draft strategy is something that I would have done. So it's a B with the plus or minus like entire letter grades. Like we've said, it's like there's two ways to look at it. There's the holistic view of seeing all the draft and taking players and the other value that was around them. And then there's looking at the players themselves and who they picked. Um, 
I think this was a very good draft for Detroit. They clearly had a plan and they clearly executed that plan. Um, and they took swings and calculated risks where they needed to. We'll see if those risks pay off. Um, but uh, in the short term, I think this was a great draft from Detroit. I I, I love the Edmondson pick, even though you know people will bang the table for Eklund. And I love the move up to take uh, Kosa. Um, people might have banged the table for Wallstead as well, but you know that's what we get in a limited games draft. Um, I'll I'll go so far as to say I think it's an A minus, and I will say that as at a holistic level view, I think there was some value that they left in the second round um, that was just a little bit in too enti- too enticing to pass up on, in which they did. Um, but looking at who they took, they clearly went exactly with the players that they wanted, um, and I tend to really like the picks that they made. So on the live stream, I gave it a B. I think I'm going to upgrade it to a B plus just because I, my philosophy has always been swing for the fences. So the Red Wings did, so I can't punish them for it. I, I think at points they could have taken bigger swings. Uh, the only thing that's detracting is they're not necessarily the picks I would have made. Um, which if you're sitting there, oh, we don't, you don't know more than Iserman and we won't know for three to five years. Yes, I agree. I trust Iserman more than me. And I know we won't know for three to five years, but if we're not going to talk about it, why even have a podcast? <laughs> so, um, again, I mentioned it before. If they get two players out of this draft, it's a phenomenal draft. If they get a top line player, which Edvinson, Kosa and Buyum all have the potential to be to varying degrees, that alone is a win. My gut is telling me, I think out of their first three picks, you're going to get probably two regulars, uh, probably one of them very good. Like, I, I think there's a really, really good chance that Evanson or Kosa turns into what we think they are. And then if any one of the other two guys is a regular NHL, that's great. And I do really like uh, Dower Nilsson and Savage's chances relative to where they were picked. Those are normally a 10% chance. I would bump both of those guys up to like a 25 to 40% chance, which is phenomenal value there. Cause again, I had near second round value rankings on them. So I will give them second round odds. Um, so if you walk away from this draft with, let's say two of the three first three becoming NHLers and one of red Savage and Liam Dower, Nielsen playing regular minutes in the NHL, that's a 10 out of 10 draft. The only reason I don't give them an A is they did take some of the riskier picks, especially with a goalie in the first round. So it's far from a sure bet that what I think is going to happen is actually going to happen. So B plus is, is where I fall on this one. All right. So overall philosophy here. I mean, we've said it a million times. The Red Wings are taking swings on players with massive upside. In doing so, they left players on the board like William Eklund. They left players on the board like Logan Stankovin and Nikita Shibrikov and uh, Sveshkov really with the with the Kosa pick and Atu Ratu who could have been a middle six center very comfortably for them possibly in the future. There were – you can't draft everyone and you can't draft everyone good and there's no such thing as a perfect draft and even if there was, you wouldn't know what it looked like until afterwards. Um Still, I know that's a sticking point for you, Brad, especially. To me, that's okay. I don't get hung up on it. I stopped getting hung up on it a long time ago because drafts don't go as you think they will because 
the projections and the mocks and the rankings and everything, that's an exercise to both familiarize yourself and give yourself an idea, a range of who should go where. It's not an exact predictor and it never will be. Overall on strategy, I'm 100% on board. If I'm giving a, a grade for strategy alone, it's an A++++ because I think this is the exact way you had to approach it. Executions, obviously, I mean, you know, I don't love the, the Mazer pick, but if I'm getting all the way there before I have something that I can actually say is a detractor, the strategy there is, it, it, the strategy is there for me. But I know, Brad, you have a differing opinion, you know, based on who is left. My concern isn't how they drafted, it's the side effect of it. This team, there's nobody that's here. There, there's not many people in the organization right now that are going to be scoring goals for them in three to five years. There is not many at all. Lucas Raymond, pretty safe bet. Philip Zadina, pretty safe bet. Will Dylan Larkin still be producing at that point? Probably not to this extent, but yeah, pretty safe bet. That's it. Those are the. Verona? Could Bergeron be something? Yes, absolutely. Could Valeno be something? Yes, absolutely. Do I think either of them are going to be first line players? No. I'm not even fully confident at this point. Raymond, Larkin, or Zadina are true first line players. Oh, will be. I, th- I think they will be. I, but I don't. Again, for the love of God, will people stop misinterpreting? Guarantee versus I think. It's not a guarantee. I would bet on Lucas Raymond being a first-line player. I would bet on Dylan Larkin continuing to be a first-line player. Zadine, I'm less confident on, but I think he could do it. Um, Evan and I both unmuted there. Evan and I both unmuted there before you explained it. We were ready to come in at you. (laughs) The term guarantee gets misheard a lot. But either way, that's three. You have to put four lines on the ice. And ideally, three of them should be able to score with some regularity. That means you have six big holes. Jakob Verena, his pace this year might have been unsustainable. They might trade him. Tyler Bertuzzi could still be around. The way everything's been talking, he's probably getting traded at some point. And then you have a lot of what-ifs in the organization and maybes. Yeah, Niederbach, maybe. He's still a longer shot than he is a likely shot. Valeno, probably a middle six center, but not a super contributor. Rasmussen, bottom six guy. Like, this is a problem. Even if all these guys hit, and I mean literally 100%, like, of all the guys who are likely bets. You keep Bertuzzi, you keep Verani, you have Larkin, Zadina hits, Raymond hits, Bergeron hits. You're still missing an entire line. Like, they need... And and let's be clear, that's not going to happen. Like, just odds dictate what I just laid out is not going to happen. Statistics Perfect. say it's not going to happen. So, oh, Alex Ovechkin a, is a UFA. Sign it. Get it done. There you go. Problem solved. You laugh. I would absolutely be here for that type of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> just for the entertainment value. I didn't laugh. Alone. Did anyone but hear me laugh? Evan's never laughed once in his life. He's not programmed to. That's fine. So, sorry, anyways, Brad. Point being, I like their draft. I like their draft philosophy, but because of the way the board shook out, the Red Wings' biggest problem is still their biggest problem. I don't disagree that there's a need for scoring in the future. I do. I think I'm much higher on the Red Wings, especially their winger, their wing talent. Now, I think it's there's enough there. 
that's young and can see through the next three to five years. And I think there's enough there in the coming years where it's not dire. That said, it's sparse. I'll agree with that. Forward is not dire. Again, I'm big on Berger and Raymond, Zadina, Verana. Like, uh, I'm. No, no, no. Center is dire. Yes, center is dire. Center that's is the point I was getting to. Dire. <laughs> the Red Wings, best case scenario, the, w- with the Red Wings and how they progress, Larkin is their second best center. And that's not to say, you know, Larkin is bad. I, I'm saying they need a superstar center and they need actually Valeno or you know, any one of these uh, picks over the last two drafts to hit as well and, and uh, act as a depth centerman because they actually have no one really behind Larkin. So that's something that needs to come within the next draft or two, flat out. Also, Eiserman has said, like I referenced before, through free agency and trades, he has to do something. I agree. The scoring has to come from somewhere, but I think the wingers aren't as bad as 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 you're making them out to be now. In my mind, I think there's enough there where it can hold them through. And I understand. I, even if they took a forward with the sixth overall pick and the forward with the 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 first second round pick, I don't think the the outlook would be that different. Like there's no one really at the sixth pick that would have really changed the outlook of the Red Wings' top end offense. Eklund. Eklund, I think, is going to be a great player. Eklund is, is going to be, I think, a great player. But I think the swing on Edvinson, if that pans out, that is a bigger impact. And then all you have to do is win one of the Shane Wright or Bedard slash Michkoff lotteries. That's all you got to do. do. It's easy. Well, I got a way more probable answer for all of this. Toronto creates a toxic environment for Mitch Marner. <laughs> Detroit trades a glut of their defense, which Toronto can never solve. Detroit gets Mitch Marner, center problem, goal scoring fixed. Boom. Stanley Cup. Love it. Love it. See you on Woodward. The the sad thing is that's not all that crazy. Not like, that's not crazy. But Did I laugh? I I know. I know, Evan. Um, I think where I differ than you, Ryan, is I like the wingers. Marner plays the wing, by the way. Sorry. Hmm? Just just ignore me. Just just keep going. (laughs) Just keep going. He can play center. I think just statistically speaking, I like all the guys, but I don't think they're all going to be there in three to five years. Bertuzzi sounds like he's getting traded. Verona, depending on his age and where Eiserman's at any given day, who knows? And again, out of the forward prospects they have, odds are there most of them are not going to pan out. Between Raymond and Bergeron, if one of them turns into a regular NHLer, that's Again, you have beat the odds. Bergeron was a second-round pick. He is a 44% chance, statistically speaking. Given what he's done in the SHL, those odds have gone way up. But again, not a guarantee. And Bergeron might make the NHL, but as a third-liner, which still leaves a hole in your top six. Raymond might make the NHL, but as a second-liner. And then that leaves a hole on the first line. So even at best, best, absolute best-case scenario, they're still missing a second-line center and a third-line winger. All right. Um, that is going to be the argument slash discussion slash whatever on the show between us and probably in Red Wings fandom for time to come. So let's push that one for a little bit. We'll get into winners and losers of the draft in a later episode. I think we'll probably have to push that one around just for the sake of time here. Uh, 
news today from the Red Wings in terms of signing before the UFA period opened up. Uh, it was announced that the Red Wings brought back um, left-handed defenseman Mark Stahl on a one-year $2 million contract with the no-move clause. Um, my quick summary of this is we knew this might happen because Eisenman said it might happen. The Red Wings had nobody behind Nick Letty and Danny DeKaiser, however many games he can manage to play this year, to play left D. Um, we didn't predict that Stahl would be back, but we also, I mean, when Chalosky left and I don't know, maybe should have seen it coming a little bit more. It's one year, it's 2 million. So it's a blip on the radar in terms of cap space. So it actually doesn't affect anything. Some people were like, oh, full no move clause. I'm like, it's one year and no one's trading for Stahl at the deadline. Or if they are, it's not for anything appreciable. And if you're really that, you know, if you're having fantasies about trading Mark Stahl at this year's deadline, then he can also waive it. So this is purely a someone needs to eat some minutes. It's a warm body. It's a guy who's familiar with the team. And honestly, you know, I, I joked about winning the next two lotteries. The Red Wings need to draft high for at least one more year. And Eisenman knows that there's generational, possibly generational, if not superstar talent coming in the next two drafts, three players with Wright, Bedard, and Michkov. You kind of have to take kicks at those cans. So you don't want to get go out and get anyone too good. You just need someone competent. And I think Stahl was, for the most part, competent. What this lets the Red Wings do is properly develop Cider. Because now they're going to be able to put together three, dare I say, NHL average defensive pairings. Because Mark Stahl, Troy Stetcher was a legit good pairing last year. Now, we know Stetcher was the driver behind that. But guess what? Seattle didn't take him. We can put Stetcher back with Stahl. Heronic to Kaiser. Heronic's good. De Kaiser's fallen off a cliff. But for whatever reason, they seem to play all right together, which then allows you to put Cider and Letty together and not have to play them 29 minutes a night because Nick Letty's on there. And Nick Letty, quite frankly, is probably the only defenseman on this team who can actually skate with Cider. So that's, you know, another plus. So yeah, Mark Stahl's a guy. We we knew they'd have to plug in a guy on the left side of the D. So it might as well be a guy you know. And you know he's coming cheap. His no-move clause is inconsequential. My gut tells me that's just so he can control which contender he goes to at the deadline if teams are interested. And trust me, that's a really big if teams are interested. (laughs) If not, whatever. He's space filler. And, you know, they have Gustav Lindstrom there as the insulation if anybody gets hurt or when someone does get traded. So, yeah, it's fine. I like the move. Makes sense. And... I, I see a logical path to how this season can play out on defense now. Yeah, you, I like the move from a Red Wings perspective and a Mark Stahl perspective. You know, is Mark Stahl uh, the needle mover and, you know, a Norris candidate? No, but the Red Wings need somebody and uh, he's got a glut of experience. And I think there's something there to be said about that. One year, no move. Who cares about the no move? guy just wants some job some security and control his destination which is becoming increasingly important to nhl players and their family during uh the pandemic and and onward um it's good it's good i i can't really say anything bad about it yeah i'm anyone who says you know stall is not good and he's going to make the team worse than if they got other guys i say yeah i think the fandom the fan group has been hurt by no move clauses 
in the past. And I think that's why when people see that, they get a little bit upset. But, you know, if the guy really wants to move and try and win a cup or something, whatever, he can decide that. But I think at the end of the day, he wants to pick his location. And I've got no problem with that on a one-year deal. Yeah, this is purely a depth move. And with where the Red Wings are in the rebuild, you're going to see a lot like this. Okay, before we move on to the trades that happened over the past I don't know, 10 years, but I think in reality, three or four days. Um, let's address a situation. I want to give a little bit of time to this. Um, the Montreal Canadiens with the 31st pick in the draft um, selected Logan Mayu. And for those who don't know, Logan Mayu was convicted of a crime in Sweden recently, wherein, and yeah, I apologize for bringing up this content on air, uh, he took without the knowledge of the girl, uh, lewd photos, uh, of a girl that he was with and, um, distributed them and to his friends, uh, multiple places. It got plastered everywhere. Um, he was convicted, found guilty. And, uh, in the obviously backlash that came after that, he put out a statement saying that, you know, he needs to work on, uh, himself and, you know, show contrition and and wanted to mature and make sure that he was actually ready and prepared uh, after making this mistake, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know the exact words of the statement and wanted to not be drafted. He asked all 31 or all 32 NHL teams publicly to not draft him. The Montreal Canadiens drafted him 31st overall, despite this. I want to start here by saying I'm a believer in second chances. And I think there's certain steps that need to be taken. Um, you need to show that you're actually sorry. You need to show growth. Uh, there needs to be amends making, amends making. There needs to be amends made with the people that you hurt or the person that you hurt. And, you know, there needs to be time and, and actual growth seen in there. But I don't think anything like this should be a life sentence provided that you do those things. And, whether or not like i don't want to dive too deep into like the messages that people sent or anything like by all rights by stepping out of this draft that was a good first step this is a kid who is nhl draft caliber he would have been drafted next year plain and simple um by stepping in and drafting him in the first round the montreal canadians removed the victim's opportunity to see some kind of apology i apologize for the lack of eloquence here but there's no kind of apology there's no contrition there's no amends made they took that opportunity away from the victim i i i'm shocked by the move it was universally panned a somehow still blown away by the nhl i i i have no words to explain that it's just such a horrible look for not only everyone involved in the original situation it looks horrible on montreal it looks horrible on the league and like i just i i don't know what else to say really don't worry i got lots to say oh that that's that's out of character yeah very out of character so the thing i hate about this is is not just us but too many People in the public sphere talking about Logan Mayu. This is not about him. This is not about Mark Bergevin. This is about the victim. She has to relive this over and over and over again. And 
on the live stream yesterday, I want to say it was Tori brought up a really good point. There's a lot of people in the world who are victims to some form of sexual abuse or situations like this. A lot of those people are probably Montreal Canadiens fans. Now they have to relive it every time Logan Mayu steps on the ice. They have to relive it every time something's brought up publicly about this. It's now in their face constantly. So not only are they reliving the poor girl in Sweden's trauma that she's experienced for this, they have to relive their own because it's going to bring back bad memories. And that hasn't been brought up enough. And admittedly, until Tori brought it up, I didn't think about that enough. It's not just this one victim. It's every victim of any type of sexual abuse that or sexual exploitation that has to deal with this now. And Mark Bergevin is the guy who orchestrated that. And it's not just, I want to be very, very goddamn clear. It's not just Mark Bergevin. This had to go through several steps of approval in the Montreal Canadiens organization. They had a prepared statement for when they made the pick. Hey, newsflash guys, if you have to prepare a statement before you make the pick, maybe it's not a good idea. I want, I want to say I'm surprised. I praised Mark Bergevin a week ago because he's the true wildcard GM and he's great for entertainment. I feel gross for ever having, ever having complimented this guy. This was, this had to go through several steps of approval, but this falls on him. This is the same man who forced Alex Galchenyuk to issue a public apology for being assaulted by his girlfriend and thus causing a distraction. This is the same man who would have signed Tony D'Angelo at last year's trade deadline, except Tony D'Angelo refused their offer and preferred to be bought out by the New York Rangers. This is the same man who tried bringing Slava Voinov back from Russia, even though he was deported from North America for beating his girlfriend to a bloody pulp. He keeps getting away with this crap because he knows the news cycle turns over. I am just as guilty as everyone else about letting things slide because until this came to light, I forgot about the Galchenyuk thing. I forgot about the D'Angelo thing. I forgot about the Voinov thing. And guess what? Most of us are probably going to forget about this Mayu thing in a few years, but you know who's not going to forget about it? The victim. And the victims who have to relive this over and over and over again because of this piece of garbage. It's not hard for the NHL to get these things right. The bar is on the floor. And it's just, you know, no one is saying tar and feather the kid for the rest of his life. And no one is saying, you know, throw him in a cell, never see him again. But somehow they always walk away making the worst decision. I'm going to move us along here. Uh, our last topic to cover quickly, which is an insane thing to say, considering how much happened on this front uh, before jumping into some overtime questions uh, is all of the trades that happened. Um, of course, any topics that we didn't get to today or flesh out more, please for new listeners know that this is just the beginning of the conversations it's just the draft coverage is the height of it we will be discussing edvinson cosa we'll be discussing winners and losers uh from across the nhl in terms of the draft we'll be discussing you know signings as they come up free agencies approaching i know we're not even dedicating any time to the impending free agency period that's to come um there's going to be plenty of content to cover all of that. Uh, the trades that happen i'm going to start going through a few of them and we'll just chat about them as they go 
Uh, Philly paid uh, Arizona a second and a seventh round pick to Shane Gostisbehere, and then later acquired uh, Rasmus Ristolainen from the Buffalo Sabers for Robert Hag, a first round pick, which turned into Isaac Rosen, and a 2023 second round pick. So essentially, they paid Shane Gostisbehere a second, a seventh, uh, another second, a first, and Robert Hag. I know I listed those weird. Uh, all for Rasmus Ristolainen. Look, the jury's out. Depending on who you talk to for Rasmus Ristolainen, for me, the eye test and analytics both kind of point to him being not worthy of a lot of assets, if any. To pay all that for Rasmus Ristolainen is one of the worst pieces of work I've seen in 24 hours by a GM. Couldn't be at a lesser value than he is right now. Not playing well on a bad team. You'd think for sure you would get him for a bargain price, but... When I read that, I was absolutely floored. That seems like a king's ransom for a guy who most people are not really sold on. Yeah. One of the prominent storylines defending this trade is, yeah, he's a good player on a bad team. Generally, that theory can work for a depth player or a young player who's up and coming. And yeah, you know, it, it happens. You look at of Philip Zadina in Detroit right now. Rasmus Sisterlinen plays a very prominent role on this team. So maybe a large reason why they're a bad team is because they have bad players playing prominent roles. And Rasmus Sisterlinen, according to the eye test and the analytics, seems to line up with that theory. So yeah, this is um, what one of the five worst trades we've seen in the last half decade. <laughs> It's I'm fine if people if GMs rank or rate Rasmus Ristolainen highly by all means go out and get him I understand the why to it I don't necessarily disagree but I understand but yeah the assets they gave up oof Philly um, New York traded uh, Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blaze in a 2022 second round pick Buchnevich is a first line winger and they gave him up for that little. He's a good first line winger. Yeah, it's man, Chris Drury, just all the good work Jeff Gordon did in in New York. He is flushing that away in a hurry with the Goudreau contract and now this trade. It's it's an adventure. Um, This one was probably the least egregious of the egregious trades on the day. But yeah, not a great look for the Rangers. Sammy Blay is a acceptable fourth line player in a second round pick is something but yeah productive first line forwards don't grow on trees so you don't give them away for nothing and then one this one i just screamed jim benning layer and complexity to make the the trade look i don't know different my brain was too mush to really comprehend it at the time. So Vancouver traded away Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson, who are nearing the ends of their contracts, but that's $12 million off the books, um, in, as well as the 2021 first-round pick, which was ninth overall, uh, which Arizona used to draft Dylan Genther, 2022 second, and a 2023 seventh in exchange for Oliver ekman Larson. 12% salary retained, so just under a million retained uh, for the rest of his contract. And Connor Garland, who's obviously a great player. Um, Ekman Larson is signed through 26-27, and they have him at a cap hit of 
7.26 for the rest of that time. So yeah, they ditched Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson, but that money wasn't on the books forever. So they ditched that money for the short term and took on Ekman Larson for the long term. I really like Garland and I think Vancouver is going to love Garland. Um, I think giving up ninth overall is really big mute, uh, future to mortgage there. <sighs> Yeah, you ditch Russell, Beagle, and Erickson because you need to sign your Quinn Hughes, your Pedersons, and everything. That's a hole that <laughs> the Canucks are in because of Benning. I don't know. I, I understand what Benning's doing here, and I think it's a little bit transparent, and I think it's mortgaging more pain down the road for short-term desperation. It could work. If ekman Larson finds his form, it could work, but that's uh, – I don't love that one for Vancouver. ekman larson has been in decline for four years, so – yeah, you hope he turns it around, but that's probably not going to happen. And they've just extended their pain. What, why I understand this trade, and this is a dumb statement, but I understand this trade for Jim Benning because he is freeing up a lot of cap room for this year. And he acquired a very good player for this year in Connor Garland. Genther's not going to play this year. So for this season, the Canucks improved because they unloaded three bad players. Even the husk of Oliver ekman Larson is at least usable. Connor Garland is a very, very good player. If this works out for Jim Benning this year and the Canucks improve, hey, guess what? Jim Benning keep, gets to keep his job. If it doesn't, he does not give a crap about the final five years of Oliver ekman Larson's contract because he's not going to be there for it. So if he doesn't get fired, he's got a huge problem down the road. But he doesn't care about that right now. He just needs to get to next year. Yeah, this is the old kick the can down the road because Jim Benning doesn't care about the proverbial can when Oliver ekman Larson is um, debilitated or not playing up to his contract even more so. Um, this is a classic job security move to me. Um He's trying to make the team better in the short term, leveraging the future um, to to keep uh, his job al uh, safe and alive. So I can understand it from his perspective, but as a fan's perspective, not not the greatest day. Um, and then one that I actually th I I'm not like I wasn't clamoring for the Red Wings to do this, but I wouldn't have hated it. Um, the Columbus Blue Jackets acquired Jake Bean from Carolina in exchange for a second round pick. That was Chicago's that uh, actually Chicago or Carolina used to draft Alexi Himosami, which as Carolina does was a great pick. Um, that was a nice little bit of work from from Columbus, I thought. Um, in Carolina, I think good job translating that pick into what is for now a good value pick. The last big one, a little bit of a funny trade. It's really just you have to consider situations and contracts. Uh, Columbus and Philly tr had the rare one-for-one -one notable tra player trade. So Jacob Voracek uh, is in Columbus now for the rest of the – how many years is it left on his contract? I think three more years left on his contract at 8.25. And in exchange, Philly took on Cam Atkinson, four years left at 5.875. So the gambit here is, you know – they're they're balancing the 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 decline or the situation Voracek was in and and the amount left on their contract. I really don't know what to make of this trade. I'm I don't know if I would have done it if I was Columbus, but I don't think it's the most egregious trade in the world. 
The one thing that concerns me was you said this was the last big trade. Oh, I, I see. <laughs> no, I was saving one for the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, really, the the big trade, um, which is an insane thing to say, is Chicago did get Seth Jones uh, in the end. Uh, what was the whole trade overall? Oh, my God, is it doozy? So Chicago and Columbus traded. So Chicago got Seth Jones, a first-round pick, uh, which they uh, was Tampa Bay's initially that Columbus had and a 2022 sixth round pick in exchange for Adam Boakvist, uh 2021 first round pick 12th overall, which Columbus used to draft Cole Sillinger 2021 second round pick, which um, was moved to Carolina for Jake Bean and a 2022 conditional first round pick. The conditions, if Chicago wins one of the 2022 draft lottery, uh, one of the 2022 draft lotteries, the pick becomes their 2023 first round pick. So it's a big mess. Seth Jones to Chicago, first round picks moved around, Adam Volkvist to Columbus, and then Seth Jones signed an eight-year, $9.5 million per year extension in Chicago. So the nice thing is, since it's after the draft, we can we can use names to make it simpler. So it was, with the, I don't care about the late round picks, but it was essentially, so what it turned into was Seth Jones and Nolan Allen for Adam Volkvist. Cole Sillinger, a future first, and Jake Bean, because they flipped that pick. That is a tidy bit of work by Yarmo Kekaline in there, too. Columbus probably had the best weekend overall of any team in the league with the trades they uh, made, minus the confusing Voracek trade, and who they got in the draft with the volume of picks they had. Man, Chicago got hosed and. Okay, I don't think Seth Jones is as bad as the analytics community seems to think he is. I don't think he's as good as the old hockey man community seems to think he is. I think Seth Jones is still a a really good number two, three defenseman. And he probably can be for a while still. Not eight years, but for a while. You don't pay a good number two, three defenseman nine and a half million dollars and give up your t- one of your top prospects and multiple first round picks for him. Like, holy shit. Um, man, Stan Bowman GMing like he's, he knows he's about to lose his job. So swinging for the fences, hoping to save it. But good God, this is a disaster for Chicago. I think there's more dissection to be done. Actually, I'll let you jump in, Evan, here before. I have nothing really too much more to add other than, wow. Like, I think <laughs> Seth Jones is that good to you trade done. all that away for him and then sign up to a bigger deal than Cal McCarr? Oh, oh yeah, that is not good. It, um, well, I'm glad we're not Chicago Blackhawks fans or a Chicago Blackhawks podcast because, wow. It'd be a rough time overall. It. What's that? It would be a rough time overall right now. Yeah. But uh, on the other side of the fence, you know, golf clap to, to Yarmo. That was a very nice piece of work that he, he pulled together there with that trade and flipping that pick for Jake Bean. That is, uh, that is very tidy. Uh, two people who are doing backflips. Joe Sackick, who managed to nail down uh, Kale McCarr for $9 million a year for six years, like Evan mentioned, uh, which is a fantastic value contract. And um, Dougie Hamilton, who is going to point to Seth Jones' money and say, yeah, I want that, but maybe more. So 
Guys, we know there is more to be said about the draft. We know there's more to be said about the trades. We know there's more to be said about free agency. Um, for new listeners, we occasionally have these mega episodes that we're fine running past two hours, but we try not to do it too, too often. Um, please know that we are going to be covering all of this in the coming episodes uh, of the Winged Wheel podcast. Um, and we're going to now transition into overtime. On days like this, uh, there are a bunch of overtime comments, so we won't always have time to, or we don't have time to get to all of them today, but we will make it up to you. Uh, we have an idea for a um, quick little bonus episode that we might throw in midweek and uh, before, sorry, before the actual midweek episode, and we'll answer your overtime questions. If your question isn't answered today, it'll be answered in the future for uh, patrons, rest assured. So we're going to jump into overtime, uh, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Um, we have a, a ton of new patrons who came in, which we can't thank you enough. So whether you've been supporting us for a long time, or you're just joining the show now, thank you so much. You're the reason we're able to, you know, do these deep dives, do all the research that takes months, if not a year, uh, spend an entire week producing content every single day like that doesn't happen without you so thank you all so much um you're the heart and soul behind the wind wheel podcast jake bloom uh we're gonna start with a question from jake bloom on patreon says hey guys i've been thinking about becoming a patron uh for quite a while and finally decided to pull the trigger thanks for all your awesome draft coverage same day that happened we traded for nadelkovic signed big Rass, and my cousin and i purchased wings season tickets for the first time so that was a pretty good day Question is, do you think it's likely that this is the year we'll see Valeno and Rasmussen on the wings for the entire season with no time spent in Grand Rapids? Yeah, probably. That would be my prediction. One, because I think they're good enough to the point they've earned it. And two, who the hell else are they putting on center? <laughs> Bill Nye the Thigh Guy says, hey, Dub Dub boys, it was fun watching the draft with you and the patrons. Hopefully I wasn't talking too much after a few mojitos. Uh, hockey question. How soon do you think we'll see this year's draft picks? It doesn't seem like any of them will be ready for another three years since we didn't draft any elite talent out of the gate. I think in two years, we'll see I Simon Edvinson play some games. Yeah. Edvinson's probably the only one who's even remotely close and he's two years away. Outside shot. We see Kosa two years out and then, you know, three years away. That's when we might start seeing Booyam and maybe one of the other guys. Joe Valeno's eyebrows says, good day, lads. Just uh, just wanted to say nicely done on the draft uh, and the Ken Daniels extra was superb viewing. On to business with Liam Dower Nielsen selected at 134 in round five, plus Edvinson at the start. The Hakan Anderson effect was there. Uh, with elite prospects ranking this kid at 76, um, I think he could prove to be a real value pick in time. Question is, where can you realistically see him projecting in the NHL if his development goes to plan? Uh, also, I'm still getting over the euphoria of drafting Red Savage. Um, middle six center pops up and down. Yeah, I I think if we're talking a realistic best case scenario for Dower Nilsson, it would be a third line center who is able to contribute on the second power play unit. Uh, Frank the Tank says, hey guys, longtime listener, and I finally decided to take the plunge and become a Patreon supporter. Wish I had sooner, given the amazing work all three of you put in day in and day out. Question is, given the way the draft turned out, uh, focusing our first two round picks on goalie and defense, or in Stevie's word, best player available, do you now think the Wings have to focus on forwards on the next few drafts? 
Yeah, even for me, someone who thinks that it's a lot more muddy than people give it credit for in terms of drafting for position, I, I think it has to be. Has to be. Thankfully, next year is a very, very strong forward draft. At least that's what the preliminary rankings they say. So, and you know, Shane writes a forward. Um, also says, Brad, you're right. You're uh, using the Iser plan as a defense for any choice uh, that isn't popular or well-regarded. Uh, shouldn't stop uh, people from critiquing it. Sometimes we as fans won't agree with choices. Just see Blasio and that's okay. Uh, and then he mentioned Mayu, which we addressed. So just for the sake of time here, but it is a really good comment if people want to read it. Uh, on a more positive note, keep up the great work and thanks. Patrick Modrowski says, all right, here it goes. I'll say the blasphemy. I didn't like this draft very much. And I think if it was Ken Holland rather than Eisman, we'd all be criticizing the draft as Red Wings fans. It says more about the men making the moves rather than the actual moves themselves. But I can't help but think that instead of watching boring hockey where we lose three nothing we'll be watching where they lose one nothing i love stevie as much as the next guy he's been my hero for as long as i can remember but i also feel it's important to not get too biased and assume he can do no wrong do you feel like this may have extended the rebuild i know we've gotten better but at some point we have to score well if you want to go and look very far well ken holland is still a gm in the nhl and if you want to say that let's see what he's up to well Look at what they did in the draft. I'm sure we'll talk about this at length in a future episode, but he he thought for sure Minnesota wasn't going to take a goalie, so he traded back, even though they're, one of their biggest needs is a goalie. And then Minnesota took a goalie. So he read the room incomplete, or completely incorrect, and I thought was the, the second dumbest move of the first round. So if, if you think Steve Eiserman and... Holland, you know, making the same picks. I don't think they're they're making the same picks at all. For for the main part of the question too, I don't think it sets the rebuild back because I think that there's enough pieces already in place before this draft to where we can reasonably reasonably expect the Red Wings to see make like some playoff pushes in the next two to four years. Where this could be beneficial because it's so many projects in this draft is they're not going to come through till the point where we already expect the Red Wings to be kind of good, which means as the Red Wings are up and coming and starting to make playoff runs, entry level contracts as far as the eye can see bring extra value. So that would be the optimistic take on it. Um. Poyo says, hey guys, longtime listener and new patron. Seeing Ken Daniels pop in for a late night chat was nothing short of amazing. Keeping with the theme of drafting, let's say Stevie and Mickey are off the board. Who's your pick for best interview available? Mine would be Ozzy. His stories with DMAC were hilarious. You could ask him about a certain time he would put in, uh, in a certain item he would put in people's golf bags. Ozzy would be good. I think Brett Hall would be a great interview. Uh, just in terms of stories. Oh man, I would love a Shani interview, but like gloves are off, like not like Shani, the professional, like Shani, when he's not holding an NHL job, I think that'd be a good interview. I would love a Dominic Hasek interview. Oh yeah. I don't even know what he would talk about, but I just know it would be crazy. If, if we're allowed like truth serum levels of interviews, I want to talk to Sergey. I want to know everything that was going on behind the scenes throughout his career. <laughs> In the NHL and for Russia, because I'm oh, sure there's some crazy stuff that happened in the 90s with Russian superstar athletes. 
Absolutely. I want to know everything. All right. Next comment here is from uh, Matt, or sorry, Al Robbins, who says, longtime listener, first time supporter. First off, fornicate the Habs management. Uh, what are your guys can't miss summer Olympic events and why? Uh, track and swimming, because those are just the most popular ones. And I think that you get a, like, it's really intense watching the actual literal races. Um, I love table tennis because I never have a window into table tennis other than that. And the highlights are absolutely unreal. Do they uh, still have the uh, gymnastics with the string or is that just from old school? No, I think they still have ribbon. I'm not sure. But because of draft, I have watched almost no Olympics so far. So I have some catching up to do. Look at me and- calling it string. I'm so uncultured. Yeah, you it's are. Ribbon. Yeah. And before Evan gives his real answer of golf, uh, I'm not a big summer Olympics guy, but I was absolutely jacked to see skateboarding added this year. So I'll go with that. When do I get my added allotment of golf talk, by the not way? today. Not today. You, that's only for people who showed up to day two of the draft. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, actual event. I don't really care for the golf because guys don't really seem to care that much. And there's been some COVID withdrawals, so I don't really care. Honestly, I find like gymnastics. I, I'm not like super into it, but I just find the the feats and the the abilities that those people have is just otherworldly like what simone biles does and then some of those guys like on the rings oh my god it is just it's absolutely impressive that one camera angle of i think it was simone biles in her floor routine is that's not physically possible humans are not supposed to be able to do that i um sorry i know this episode's going long but i do have a point to make to this so our friends we do Sometimes we do random activities and one was gymnastics. So all of our friends went and did gymnastics. So we got to jump on those floors and they do spring a little bit. So I was like, oh yeah, this kind of makes more sense. No, no, my vertical is still two and a half inches. So the fact that they can do that full speed and then do all those crazy maneuvers and spins, just speechless. It's the craziest thing. Uh, Max Lightman says, are you surprised elite prospects? Number one, Mustafa Lemieux went undrafted. <laughs> Is this a sign of disrespect for the Australian junior leagues? Does he go before Wright, Lambert, or both? That's funny. Um, the Mustafa Lemieux profile was hysterical. I can't believe I haven't seen it before. Thoughts on kebab as a pizza topping? I don't think this has come up before. Um, I wouldn't buy it, but I don't hate it. I think it's a little too wild for me, but if you get in some good garlic sauce in there, I think... What is exactly kebab? I don't know how to explain this to you. Okay, then I'll just say, I will try it. (laughs) Kebab, like... I mean, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) C. Rowe says, um, do you think it's possible, plausible to bring bring Raymond to Detroit this year to get playing experience, especially since W's uh, aren't helpful with the Shane Wright draft coming up? he'll get his chance and i think he has every opportunity to make it out of camp whether or not he does is up in the air but i I think he'll have the opportunity no detroit's gone back to their slow rolling prospects mentality so i think he'll get games this year but i don't think it'll be till the end of the season i think he'll spend a bulk of the year in grand rapids uh matt s says being at the draft party uh at the LCA was fun, especially when everyone in the crowd was expecting Eklund uh, at six. Stevie always keeping everyone guessing. Like Brad said in the draft stream, if both players hit as we hope they do, it's a home run. Hopefully Eisenman knows more than us. He does. 
It usually does. Uh, now from my comment last time, officially a name level patron, quit my gym membership today. For the record, Ryan, oh, already fat, working on my weight loss, and I have a home gym, so I'd rather spend the money so I can be entertained while working out and losing weight. Keep up the good work as always, dub dubs. Well, Matt, that's awesome. As a fellow home gym goer, uh, best of luck. Uh, and, uh, let us, uh, let us know how your progress is going, man. Proud of you. And thank you for the support. Peter Hodling says, Hey guys, brand new patron here. Happy to support. Do you see Stevie making a blockbuster, uh, move for an elite one C? Not anything. Not unless he, not unless he manages, manages to bring over Barkov. That's probably the hardest get in hockey. Um, Colorado 14er says after watching Steve's press conference on Saturday, it's clear to me that either Wallstead or Kosa were the number one priority for round one. Had either of them gone top five, the other would have gone to the wings at six and had another team grabbed one of those guys at, uh, after six, the plan was to trade up immediately after, after the Dallas run on goalies likely would have begun. So I think they got Kosa for as little as possible while still getting a top defensive prospect, which if true is outstanding. Uh, not having a reliable goalie from his 91 to 94 playing seasons has really affected his prioritization of that position. Kosa and Ned both appear to be highly intelligent and self-aware, and I'm hopeful they bring an element of leadership to the ice in addition to their abilities of stopping the puck. Uh, Vincent Saladino, Vincent, I see your comment and I want to give it the airtime. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to stumble over half the words, so I'm going to get to this one when we do the, um, the recovery of the rest of the Patreon comments on our bonus episode. Matt Whip says, why am I more excited about Kosa than Edmondson? Uh, oh, and no development camp sucks. I mean, Kosa, goalie of the future. That is a, you're not wrong to be hyped to that, hyped for that. Uh, Mike Franklin says, it sure seems like Eisman viewed this draft class as an opportunity to swing for the fences, taking Edvinson, Kosa, and Booyam. Given where we are in the rebuild and the fact that the pictures are risky, do you agree with the approach? Uh, so we chatted about that earlier. When do you expect to see Kosa in the NHL? Um, He's a goalie. Two to seven years. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pick a, a number here, I'm going to say three years. Yeah, that would be ideal. Uh, any- One more year in the dub and then two in the AHL and then let him go. Sean Stephen Cook says, I'm seeing every fan base hate their own team's draft. They all seem to have a different idea of what their team should have done. I'll say that we're all being a little silly after saying all year this draft will be weird because no one played. And then during the draft, we all react initially like, oh, my God, this is so weird. What are they doing? We need to accept that we don't know what they know and hope that their scouting is better than our own. I'll admit that my only scouting comes from listening to the show, so I can't be mad when guys who have been spending all year looking at prospects disagree with me. Uh, Don Mitchell says, how uncomfortable are you uh, that the Islanders used the pick from Detroit in the Letty trade to draft Ratu? I was really hoping for him at pick 38. Not uncomfortable. Didn't, it's the way things go, but it uh, did not notice it, you know? D- didn't help. feel like this might be something that's pointed out in five years. <laughs> uh, Philip Gastineau says, what was the best and worst trade or move of the week? I love that I get to say this. Best trade was uh, Nadelkovich, and the worst was whatever the hell Chicago did for Seth Jones. Yeah. Honorable mention. Actually, sorry. The, uh, the worst was everything Montreal did. Uh, honorable mention to uh, Columbus, what they did their entire weekend. Um, okay. So, I think we're actually going to wrap this one right here. Uh, I know there's a lot of comments to get to, and I promise you we'll get to them just on episodes like this. We have to 
just cut it for time. So we'll be putting out some bonus content. We have some uh, stuff in the works for you that we think is really exciting. Uh, and we also want to uh, cover Ken's conversation with us as well. So patrons, promise you your questions will be on air. Um, for all of you who left comments on Reddit and Twitter as well, know that we are going to read and address those as well. So that is our initial 2021 NHL draft recap episode. Um, as you can see, a world of stuff happened in the NHL. So there is so much to cover still. So that is by no means the end of our coverage, but this is the big mega. This is what happened for the Red Wings in the NHL in the 2021 NHL draft uh, episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. For new listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, for listeners who have been with us forever, uh, can't have done it or made it to this point without you. Uh, we're really excited for the rest of this offseason. We have free agency coming up. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To name level sponsors of the Winged Wheel podcast, um, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle, Ker- uh, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, uh, Karagets, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, King Tone, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah Banana Slam and Jamathong. Isaac J, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Cyrus Marsh, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al-Kassem, uh, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, currently out of name ideas, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Rocker, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., as good as it gets, the spirit of Harambe smiling down from heaven in a Darren Helm jersey, Trevor Pevovar, Vaxed Wax, and what the hell is Ron Francis smoking, and Zach Handyside. Thank you all so very much. Stay tuned for the rest of this week for more content. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.